0: Today's Mother's Day and I'm not a big fan of men pretending they know much, uh, if anything, about women. So I'm going to invite up uh, two women that I deeply respect and admire. One, of course, my wife, Jenny Treadway, and the other, Laura Lynn Vasquez. So let's welcome them up here. (laughs) Jenny, of course, uh, the wife I don't deserve. And Laura Lynn, a key leader here at Rancho, uh, leading our small group ministry as a pastor. And, of course, she does a lot of teaching around here as well as our announcements. So uh, we're going to talk about... Women. Now, we're going to speak of women in terms of the vision that God gives women way back in Genesis chapter 1. So from the very beginning of God's Word, now we're talking about 4,000 years ago, this, this inspiration was given to the world in Genesis 1.27. It says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Now, if it just stopped there, the ancient world would say, well, yes, okay, God created man, meaning men in his own image, and the women are somehow lesser. But that's not what God's word said. Time and time again, he created him male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. This is huge. 4,000 years ago, where women were considered to be property, God's word comes out saying women are to be equally blessed with men. Now, that's not the way it always works. In fact, I'll be clear, that's not the way it works um, if ever at all. In fact, the history of our civilization has been really tough when it comes to how we treat women. And Laura Lynn, you're gonna start us with stuff, not, uh, not such good stuff, but it's gonna pave the way to some good things ahead.
1: Yeah, it's been a unique burden for womanhood. Now, I'm a woman and I love being a mom. I love being a wife in the unique roles that have come my way because of that. But historically, we can see through history that it was really, really rough for women. But let's just start in the garden with Adam and Eve. You know, Eve was targeted first. And Adam could have easily been targeted and probably the same outcome would have happened, but it was Eve who was targeted, and women are still targeted today by many enemies around the world. But in ancient history, most of the cultures were patriarchal. It was women's role and who a woman's identity was was identified by her dad or her husband, and that's just how it was. When you start to study history, you'll find that women had less rights than an ox. The ox who worked for the family was considered higher as far as responsibilities and rights than the woman was. In Rome, there was this law called the rule of thumb. And this law meant that men were to keep their wives under their thumb, and they were to physically correct them when needed. There was an emperor, a Roman emperor. He was called Constantine the Great. Doesn't seem too great to me. But he had his wife burned just because he was done with her. And during that day, you could just discard your wife for no reason whatsoever, And then we've heard, many of us, about China, how they would bind women's feet. And this actually kept them from being able to walk, so they were, you know, bedridden. But this was seen as erotic and beautiful back in that day. Greece had no legal personhood for women. Women's rights were all from their husband. In fact, when marriages were happening, it was usually for financial purposes and financial gain with that family. And then, you know, we keep going farther in. in history. Europe had some laws that actually were just rescinded within the last 50 years about women being able to speak in a court of law, which is really crazy thinking of the prime minister. But, you know, she couldn't, a woman couldn't even say what she had seen and be a witness. And then in early America... It was very interesting that there was a law that men were to keep, husbands were to keep their wives under control, and they were to correct them with physical punishment. And then they tried to, like, get rid of that law, lessen it a little bit, and they said, okay, men, you can only beat your wife, correct her with a switch, and that switch had to be thinner than a thumb. So we're back to the rule of thumb law again. But some good has come, laws have changed, praise Jesus, but today there is still abuse. And today at least one out of every three women, think about that, look around this room, in the world today has been beaten, coerced into sex, or otherwise abused in her lifetime, and often it's with someone that she knows. Human sex trafficking is gaining um, knowledge for our world today, and there's a lot of great efforts to stop it, but it is still huge. And here in Temecula, we are not hidden from it. It is happening in Temecula. Riverside County is one of the largest counties where they're finding this crime, and it is the fastest growing crime in America today. It is tragic. So we can almost all agree that, you know, physical abuse and, you know, the lack of human rights is an issue and something that needs to be changed. But there's also some other subtle gender differences that just kind of make it rough on a woman today. Around fourth grade, girls stop wanting to engage in math and science and are often heard saying that math and science are meant for boys. Now, with the emphasis in STEM education, like we have here at Rancho, and and women in the industry saying, hey, we've got to do something about this, it is changing. But it is still really sad that young girls haven't been able to really excel and be encouraged to grow in those areas. You know, and men culturally, they age gracefully, right? Right. But us women, we are constantly trying to stay young, stay relevant, look like we did in the 20s, and it's just not going to happen. I was actually told my senior year in college that I was super excited. I had finally received the gospel message. I had heard it from this man named Brendan Manning in a chapel at Westmont College. And I was on fire. I was fully on fire. And as a young, passionate woman, I let everybody know. And I went to my parents and I went to my professors. And I said, hey, I want to go to seminary. I want to learn more and grow more. My parents were like, you've got college bills, and you know, my professors were like, you need to find a field that will hire women. And I was brokenhearted at that time. It can be rough going for a woman in this world. But I think one of the hardest things, and especially on a day like today we're reminded of it, is that biological clock. And as a mom who I was infertile for seven years, it was really rough. If you're a woman who hasn't conceived yet or hasn't had children, you know the pain that this biological clock can bring.
0: And that makes Mother's Day tough for some women. You know, we approach Mother's Day with with care, and that's one of the reasons why we're not just talking about mothers, but we're talking about women in general and how God wants to really elevate women to the point of equal blessing with men. And you've detailed that throughout history. That really has not been the case. There's a unique burden to being a woman. There's also a unique burden to being a mother as well. There are blessings, of course, associated with that. But uh, what are the unique burdens of being mom?
2: Yeah, so this slide um, to me kind of just sums it all up. Until one becomes a mother, no one can ever tell you what it will feel like to love someone else so deeply and profoundly that you will rejoice when they rejoice, ache when they ache, feel what they feel, even without ever speaking a word. And when I read that, it just really hit a chord within me. I mean, when my kids are hurting, I mean, I am aching right alongside with them. And when they've experienced, experienced something, you know, great and, or, um, you know, joyful, I'm rejoicing right along with them. So I just, I love um, that quote. But motherhood is probably one of the most um, rewarding yet difficult jobs we'll ever do, right? And being a mom is a title we will have until the day we will die. We're always going to be a mom. So there are days and seasons, I think, of motherhood that are easier than others and then there are times when it's just really difficult. When you bring that newborn baby home and they're just sleeping in your arms, I mean, there's just really nothing better, right? I mean, just it's an amazing feeling and then they don't sleep for two months, and then you're like, what did we get ourselves into? <laughs> and there's nothing worse. <laughs> and there's nothing worse. <laughs> Lots of emotions come at you when you're a mom. You, you wanna give your kids the best. I mean, you wanna just do everything for your kids, right? And, um, and each season, there are just some sweet blessings that come along with motherhood, and then there's just some difficult times. When our kids were about, April's about six, and the boys were about four, I, I can distinctly remember thinking, okay, it's getting a little easier, it's kinda easy. Boys are getting out of the crazy toddler stage, and um, you know and we kind of joke about that now because we're like, yeah, that season lasted for, what, two weeks? <laughs> two weeks, and
0: <laughs> off to the next difficulty. <laughs>
2: and then more difficulties arise. No, but there's so many blessings, too. But another just a really hard season for for me was when April was in, probably for her whole family, was when April was in seventh grade. It was just a rough year. She's older now, so we can kind of joke about it and just kind of what a rascal she was during that seventh <laughs> grade year and that we kind of wanted to bring her neck a lot. But we got through it, thankfully, but that was a difficult season for sure for us. I think, too, with motherhood, sometimes you think, okay, I've kind of got this figured out a little bit, right? You know, you kind of pat yourself on the back. You're like, okay, I got this down. One example is when our twins were born, we knew pretty much immediately that we needed to get them kind of on a, a sleep schedule um, or else we were never going to sleep and be just with zombies all day. So we were really intentional about getting them, you know, on a sleep pattern, so by two months they actually were sleeping pretty well through the night which was awesome um, then five months Carter was about five months old and he got an ear infection and then you know that just went out the window so you know sometimes you try things you use things and you think've got this and then you know curveball hits and it's out the window so being a mom to it is literally a 24 hour day job right we don't get a clock in clock out when the kids finally do go to sleep we still have stuff to do we have laundry pick up the house our daughter who's now in college she last year called during the middle of the night and i didn't answer the phone and say sorry i'm sleeping i've clocked out click no i mean you stay up and we you know talk she was going through a rough season and you know i want to be there for our kids we're going to do that we're going to make those sacrifices for our kids it's often said that moms were the glue that kind of holds the household together and this slide i love it kind of just sums it all up and this isn't to bash on dads but it's kind of there's there's a lot of truth to this slide right the kid is just asking everything to mom, right? And the one question to dad is, well, where's mom? <laughs>
0: <laughs> this happened yesterday, twice. This
2: happened twice, yesterday. Yeah. The boys were looking for something, and they're yelling, where's my uniform? And then I'm upstairs, Aubrey's downstairs at the bottom of stairs, yelling up, she needed help making something. And, and I'm like, dad is literally two feet from you. <laughs> Ask dad.
0: I would have just said, where's your mom? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we know how it works.
2: Oh, yeah. So within just with motherhood we have you know these complexity of the seasons and the good times and bad times but we also add on that mom guilt and moms we are really good I think at at, at mom guilt right we are very aware of our imperfections as moms and we want to do a good job we want to raise our kids well but so often we fall into that trap of comparing ourselves to other women especially with social media I think it's it gets very difficult you know you're always seeing what people are wanting you to see so you're seeing that gals, perfectly clean house, a perfectly decorated house, you're seeing what they've made for dinner and it's like this gourmet meal and we're having mac and cheese. (laughs) You're like, wow, okay, I can't compare. Um, So there's a lot of that comparison and when we then compare, we, you know, can heap that guilt upon ourselves. Sometimes we just feel like we're not doing a good enough job. I think moms who stay at home may feel just that guilt of maybe not you know, adding to the family income or you know, working outside of the home. You also maybe sometimes feel like you need a break. I remember when our kids were little, I desperately, sometimes there was times I needed a break and this slide kind of shows often how I felt. Like when Scott got home, I was like sometimes ready to just run out the door and I needed a break, right? <laughs> run out of there. But then once you get that break, then you feel guilty that you wanted that break. It's so weird. All these emotions. I think two w- women who um, are working outside the home—it's hard. You know, they feel sometimes you feel the guilt. I work now too, and it's, you feel that guilt sometimes, like you're not home enough. Um, that then you now have the your job, and then you come home to another job, and sometimes don't have enough time for the kids. So we just can heap that guilt on and on and on. And then with the comparisons, we do compare how you know our kids may be behaving with somebody else's kids. We compare parenting styles. We compare, um, you know that mom may seem a little bit more spiritual than we are, and just heaping that guilt and, and the comparison can sometimes really become crippling. So the list really can go on and on and on about how we think we're not doing a good enough job. But I just want to encourage you that I'm speaking to myself here because I really oftentimes feel like I'm just not doing a good enough job and, and really do heap that guilt upon myself. But this is just an encouragement to me as well as it is to all of us in here that you know we're doing a good job just to encourage you that we... We are all different. All of us moms are different. We parent differently. Our kids are different. Um, and that there is no perfect mom out there. And I just am praying that this morning would be an encouragement to you.
0: Absolutely. That's our, our whole goal, right? And Laura Lynn, you talked about the unique burden of moms historically. Jenny talked about the unique burden of mom uh, in in the home and our everyday life. What does God's Word say about the vision that God has for women to be truly blessed by the hand of God?
1: Well, it's pretty cool what God's Word says. There's an important role for women throughout our scriptures. And there's many scriptures that we could talk about where Jesus gives us a view of women's high place in the kingdom. Men and women are both blessed and both called. The church is considered his bride, and it's a feminine term, which is kind of neat. But verses like Galatians 3.28 hit it home for me. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. This gives us a glimpse into the kingdom of heaven where we're all worshiping as one. The kingdom is upside down to the culture that Jesus was born into and much of our culture even today. Jesus came to show us something different in so many ways. And when I started reading the Bible as the whole story, one big story, Old Testament all the way to New Testament, I noticed a theme that I thought was pretty exciting. And this is the theme of the garden. So Adam and Eve, they were banned with their unique consequences out of the garden. But Jesus actually comes back and does some restoring in the garden after, after he's resurrected. But in between those two stories, there are a lot of women heroes, a lot of neat women, women like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, Miriam, the prophetess, Deborah, the judge, who ruled over all of Israel, Abigail, Rahab, and Esther. And those are just some of the women, the most popular. that They did amazing things in the Old Testament. Yet when Jesus steps on the scene, something new even happens. The Savior of the world would come through the seed of woman. And and that's the part of the story where Mary takes center stage. And Jesus takes care of his mama. And even at his death, he's there to make sure that somebody's taking care of her. And this is a beautiful story of a mother and a son. But it doesn't just stop there. Jesus, in his life here on earth, did some pretty powerful things. And in John chapter 4, Jesus is traveling, and one day, and he sends his apostles, the disciples, off to go prepare some food because he's hungry, and he sits down by a well, and he talks to a woman, the Samaritan woman, and he's talking with her, which is shocking in that day because Jesus is talking with a woman, and scripture actually says she was taken aback at the fact that he was talking with her. And not only talking with her, but he asked her to get her some water. Well, even the container would have been considered contaminated. So all of this just had to have blown her mind. And and she kind of states that. But then Jesus goes on to talk with her, saying, you know, I have water. I have life to give you. And she was perplexed by this. And who is this? And Jesus says, I am he. He reveals himself as the Messiah to her. And not only to her as a woman, but she is the first person that he reveals himself as the Messiah to, which is super exciting. And she goes and she tells people. Well, there's another story um, that kind of is a bookend to this and a bookend to that garden that I was talking about. And that is after Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus is resurrected, but nobody had seen him yet. And we have Mary of Magdalene. She actually goes to the tomb and she's weeping because her Lord is gone. And as she's weeping, two angels come up to her and say, hey, why are you crying? And she says, because my Lord is gone. Well, then she turns and looks and she sees one man. And she assumes it's the gardener of the garden and, you know, is wondering what's going on. And Jesus says, hey, Mary. And all of a sudden she recognizes his voice. He reveals himself to her first, which is super exciting, a beautiful picture of women with Jesus. And then, get this, this is exciting to me. He actually says to her, I want you to go and share that I have been resurrected with the disciples. How neat is that? She is the first evangelist in scriptures. Right.
0: So we see all throughout the scripture, particularly in the life and ministry of Jesus, that there's a value of women, particularly in ancient cultures, which consider women to be property. So we know that God's heart is to see women equally blessed. And not just women in general, but mothers as well. There's a vision for motherhood in the scripture, very famous verse in 1 Timothy 1, 5 through 7. And you'll get some insights from that as well, right?
2: Yeah. So the apostle Paul is writing to the young leader, Timothy, and he says this to him in 2 Timothy. I have re- been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I am reminded to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spower of timidity, but a, spa- but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So there's three things that kind of stood out to me in, in this passage. The first is this, that there's a four-generation vision of influence. So we see it's Lois to Eunice, Eunice to Timothy, and then Timothy to all of those that he's going to influence. So, as parents and as moms, I think sometimes it's easy for us to just get focused on what's right at hand, like that day, the day's demands, right? The to do list, the busyness of our kids' lives and schedules. But I'd encourage us through that busyness to just look at it in a deeper way, look at it as God is allowing us to pour our influence into our kids, which can then have a four generational influence. I mean, that's just amazing to think about hands down. I think parents have just the most influence on our kids. Sure. They're going to have influence with parents and our parents, <laughs> teachers, coaches, mentors. Our kids have experienced that. And we're so grateful for, for those folks in their lives. But you know, Scott and I really are going to have the most impact and influence in our kids' lives. Um, so we are shaping these kids, and it's you know it's amazing to think about just that that generational influence that we have on them. If you kind of think about it in the in the business sense, you know if you're at work, you're you're not going to hear your boss say, "Well, my boss's boss's boss greatly influenced me," right? I mean, you're not going to find that in the workplace, but you're going to find that at home. Um, just the amazing influence that we are going to have, and that this four generational influence is going to shape the world more profoundly than any other relationship. Um, or circumstance in our kids' lives. The scripture speaks to this in Psalm 78, 2 through 8. It says this, Speak God's commands to your children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God. That's just a beautiful picture of what we're talking about, just that generational influence that we're able to have on our kids and to pour into them. The second point from the Timothy passage um, that I saw was this, that influence comes through example. So the reasons Timothy life was, Timothy's life was so impacted was because his mom and his grandmother lived out a sincere faith in front of him. Not because they had the most eloquent lectures, not because they had like, the perfect discipline methods... Um, not because they read all the fancy books on parenting and had it all dialed in. They were simply living out a sincere faith in front of him. They weren't living out a fake faith. They weren't forcing their faith upon him. It wasn't a perfect faith, but it was a sincere faith. And Timothy saw that example, and he was able to see their unique relationship with God, and he was greatly influenced by that. Thankfully, I was raised in a Christian home, and my mom and dad really both had um, just a huge impact on my life. And my mom... Really did live out that sincere faith in front of myself. I grew up actually here at Rancho. And back when I was a kid, we had a ministry called Pioneer Girls. So my mom was always my Pioneer Girls leaders for myself and my sisters. And she, you know, served in church. She was always at church teaching Sunday school, doing a lot of stuff. So I was, you know, I'm thankfully the product of a mom who had a, had a sincere faith. And she passed that on to me. And she's continuing really to influence my kids as well. April is actually in Texas today and um, enjoying Mother's Day with my mom, which is great. I'm excited that they're able to be there together. And my mom is still just pouring that influence out into my, my kids, and I'm very grateful for that. The final point from the Timothy passage um, is this one. The last thing is, influence to thousands comes by an investment to one. I'm going to read that again. Influence to thousands comes by an investment in one. So when Paul is talking to Timothy, kind of right in the middle of that verse, he says, and for this reason, so Timothy, because your mother and your grandmother were such great examples of that sincere faith, you have a rich heritage. You now can go out and you can make a great difference in this world, Timothy. So by the influence of his mom and his grandmother, and by the affirmation of Paul, his mentor, he was able to live in the spirit of power and of love and of discipline. Scott's often cited in church and talked about this, that Um, The average person will influence about 10,000 people in a lifetime. What kind of an influence are our kids and our grandkids going to be able to have if we're pouring into them? It's amazing to think about. Timothy was able to influence hundreds, if not thousands, in the city of Ephesus, which is a very influential first century city that connected the Eastern world with the Western world. Timothy really did help shape the Christian community that shaped the city that then shaped the world. So we... Are able to influence thousands by influencing that one. Thankfully, God doesn't call us to be perfect parents, because we're definitely not perfect parents standing up here. Um, but He just asks us to have that sincere faith and to pass that sincere faith on, just as we see that example of Timothy's mom and his grandmother.
0: All right, well, thank you both for coming up here. Laura Lynn, Jenny, we appreciate it. Thank you. So we've talked about some of the unique challenges and burdens that women have carried, not only throughout history, but even in our present day-to-day. We've talked about God's vision for having women equally blessed in our world, uh, in our church, and in our homes, uh, absolutely. And so uh, we want to talk uh, just with a couple of minutes about, uh, about how men can help bring equal blessings. So this is for the fellas. Ladies, you can kind of tune out. You could plan, uh, you know, what you're going to have for lunch right now. But uh, we're just talking about the guys. How can men uh, take responsibility for seeing to it that women—not just the women we know, but women throughout the world—have that equal blessing that God has designed for them. Well, first of all, we need to understand what the word blessing is. It's kind of a church word. We've used it a lot here. The word blessing in Hebrews in Hebrew means to kneel down for the benefit and happiness of another. So in Genesis chapter one, this Hebrew word blessing is used. That God is blessing mankind made in His image. God is blessing both man and woman equally. The imagery is that God is kneeling down for the benefit and happiness of humankind. Is that kind of odd to think of God kneeling down? Well, you know he's not kneeling down in worship, but the idea of kneeling is a posture of service. And certainly when we know that Jesus Christ is the fullness of divinity and Jesus says, I did not come to be served but to serve, we can get this image of God kneeling down for the benefit and the happiness of humankind. And specifically in Genesis 1, it's the benefit of and happiness of both men and women equally. So what can we do, men, to see to it that the women of the world are equally blessed? Well, let's give a couple of things here. Number one, I would encourage us to look at women differently. And you know what I mean, guys? Um, I don't, do not think testosterone and eyeballs should ever meet. Because what ends up happening is men, and we all do this, every single one of us. So ladies, don't get real upset with your guys if you catch them. This happens all the time. Men, when we look at a woman, we eye her up. It happens all the time. It is as natural as breathing. It's not good, but it's as natural as breathing. Breathing good, eyeing up women bad. But we have this in our wiring, right? So we've got to catch ourselves. We've got to kind of punish ourselves a little bit. Just, okay, listen. These are women beautifully made in God's image. God wants them equally blessed. So let's be careful how we eye up and judge women. They are not objects for our visual pleasure. In the same way, we've got to stop pornography. Now, pornography is readily available, and every man alive wants to see it. That's just the reality. But these are women. These are human beings, dearly loved, made in God's image, and God desires them to be blessed. God has knelt for their benefit and for their happiness. They don't see that in themselves. And so they put themselves in these situations for a couple of bucks or for drugs or whatever it is, probably coming from terrible households. They put themselves in this, in this dehumanizing de-human, uh, situation, and yet we are purveyors of that when we look at pornography. When I pull my, my sons aside and we have our little uh, you know, patio chats, um, I tell them, hey, listen, we have done what we could to make sure that your access is limited with their computers and their devices, but we know that these pictures are absolutely everywhere, and if they want to, they can see them. We know that. No matter how hard we try with hardware, we know they're going to be able to, to see, see some of this stuff. So I sit them uh, down, and I say, hey, listen, boys, um, pornography you'll be able to find. But I'm telling you, these are human beings, and I go right down through it. Dearly loved, made in God's image, designed for blessing, and because of their family, because of their sense of self-worth, because of their terrible circumstances, they put themselves in this situation. Just for the sake of these human beings, don't give yourself to that. I know it is hard. I know that every guy wants to see it, and I know we are all drawn to that, man. But let's say, line in the sand here, let's not treat women this way. The reality is we've come a long way in terms of treating women equally, for that equal blessing. We've come a long way. We have to realize there's a long way to go. In fact, women just got the right to vote about 100 years ago here in America. 96 years ago, women got the right to vote. That's just a couple of generations down the line. In 1972, the first woman CEO of a Fortune 500 company was hired. Right now, 5 to 6% of CEOs are women. Women are forbidden as pastors in one-third of Christian churches, forbidden as pastors in one-half of evangelical churches. So this is in the church as well. In the business world and the religious community, women are not treated the same as men. Biblically, God wants equal blessing, but everywhere, they're simply not given equal blessing. Uh, statistics say that right now, women are paid just north of 80% of what men are paid for the exact same job, the exact same responsibilities. And there's a lot of discussion about this, there's a lot of politics messed with this, but I'm telling you, we can have an influence. If you are a supervisor, you can influence that. If you are a, um, a business owner, you can have an influence in this. Uh, I would encourage you, look at your payroll and find out, do that little, little you know, audit of your, of your employees. Are women paid the same as men for equal work? Oftentimes you'll find the answer is no, for whatever reason, maybe you didn't intend it, but oftentimes the answer is no. When I first became lead pastor here 12 years ago, I asked for the payroll, names and payroll. I suspected, I knew, women weren't paid the same as men. When I became lead pastor, I worked with our board and thank God for our board. We immediately changed titles. Then over the next two years, we made sure to reduce the salary of every man. No, we didn't do that. (laughs) Over two years, we raised the salary of every woman. You're shocked back there. He did not just say that. It didn't happen. We raised the salary of of the women. Equal titles, equal pay within two years, just having a financial strategic plan to do that, and we did it. It's a very exciting thing to take up justice for, for women. As men, we have some authority and we have some control over that, right? So we can bring equal blessing to women. Doing our small part, you can encourage women. Women all around you, whether you know them or don't, encourage women. Keep in mind, women live under this uh, unique burden of guilt and comparison. Every woman alive does that more than men. Culture presses in against them uniquely. So if we as men can be very affirming and encouraging to all women, especially women in our own home, uh, women in our family, women in our workplace, women just out in the community, strangers, appropriately, compliment them, right? You'll make their day because their lens of their life is comparison and inadequacy and guilt. That's a lot of the lens through which they live. And we can have so much influence by just simply being encouraging. So we can bless the women of the world. We can also bless our daughters. This is a huge thing. For those of you who are young women, uh, let's say you are uh, college and younger, the world has something to say about who you are and a lot of it isn't good and a lot of it you may have bought into sexualizing yourself, considering yourself uh, to have your value based in how you, you know, please women, uh, men, or how you are are accepted by men. A lot of women have bought into that, and there's a lot of reasons why. But what we can do as parents and and as men is we can raise up our daughters in a powerful vision that God has for their lives. Uh, Acts 2.17 says this, In the last days, and this is the age after Christ rose from the dead, in this last age, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. To which the ancient world would have said, okay, pour out your spirit on all men. Well, the Bible has to constantly clarify, right? No, I'm talking about sons and daughters. Sons and daughters will prophesy, boldly speak the heart of God. Sons and daughters will see visions and dream dreams. In other words, young people will have an exciting vision for their life, for their future, for their place in God's kingdom. And see themselves as a world changer. But very often, women are put behind men globally and even still in our culture today, as progressive as we are. Um, I'll give you a little example of this. Uh, Laura Lynn cited an article that we read that by the time a young woman is in fourth grade, she will start being steered uh, away from the STEM disciplines, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math. There's just this general assumption that that's not where women are. By fourth grade, they're steered away from them. A couple of days later, I had a a date lunch with my daughter, nine-year-old third grader, and we're talking about school and friends and all that, and and, uh, I asked her, what's your favorite subjects? I love math and science. I don't like reading about it. I like doing it. So she's got these science kits and goggles and takes chemicals from the garage, blowing stuff up. I don't know what she's doing, but she's having fun, so have at it. She loves doing math and science, and and she's in third grade. What was the article we just read? By fourth grade, she's going to start getting steered away from that. Kind of broke my heart. It got me enthused about you know, her possible future, but brokenhearted about where she might start getting redirected. And so as men, we could say, no, we're not going to redirect our women. Right? We're not going to redirect the women in our lives that we love so much. We are going to encourage them, and we are going to promote where they want to serve, and we're going to promote the gifts that are very unique so that we will not have these third graders steered away from the STEM disciplines. We will not have the Laura Lynn steered away from seminary and a, and a pastoral role of huge influence and responsibility. And finally, not only can we bless the women of the world, not only can we bless our daughters, but we need to bless our mothers. And today's a great day to do it, right? Today's a great day to do it. But let's also make it increasingly a lifestyle to help the mothers in our world, to care about the things they care about, to acknowledge all they do and to thank them. There's a great passage in Proverbs 31. It says, her children arise and call her blessed. And so it's my hope and prayer that at some point today, your children will arise on this Mother's Day and call you blessed in whatever way is appropriate for them and in their own words. You are blessed to be their mother. But also the husband's. Check this out. The husbands praise the mother and say, many women will do noble things, but you surpass them all. I've heard a a couple of Cretan men saying, well, my wife's not my mom, so what's the big deal about Mother's Day? Well, you're a Cretan Neanderthal. Get your knuckles off the ground. And let's get Proverbs 31 in line here, right? Her husband also praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Men, we're terrible at this stuff. Can I get a witness? We are terrible at this stuff, right? Women, we are terrible at this stuff. We're awful at, you know, using words to affirm other people. We have other priorities, right? Uh, we are terrible at this. But guys, let's take it upon ourselves to bless our women, to encourage our women, to see to it that they're lifted up, that they're encouraged, that their benefit and their happiness is in our mind. And maybe we could say in our own world, hey, hey listen, there, there are a lot of women in this world but you surpass them all. Let the women in your life know that they are treasured in your eyes, that they are number one in your eyes. Let them know with your words and with your actions. We're gonna close in a video. It's a cool little cute video from the uh, voices of children uh, in terms of how they speak about their mothers and uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll enjoy this.
3: <laughs> what makes your mom happy? Flowers. When I listen. Want to be good or something? Uh huh. I don't know. That's too tight. What makes your mom sad? When I don't listen. Oh, I we get hurt. What's something that your mom does every day? Cleans the house. I think work. Kisses me. What's something your mom always says to you? I love you. Brush my teeth. Go clean your room. Behave. Do not bother mom while she's sleeping. How old is your mom? I think five. Twelve. That's a very, very tricky question. Um, I know she's um, a half and something. Seventy. What's your mom's favorite thing to do? Play with me. Sit in that chair. Date night. Shop. Shopping. Go shopping. She's shopping every day. She always wants to go shopping. Me and I get tired. Doing the ads boring. Where's your mom's favorite place to go? Chinese restaurant. An animal shelter? Thank <laughs> it's to the mall. Go to the restroom. <laughs> How are you and your mom the same? Our hair. Our eyes. We'll have the same bones. We're really flexible. We both have long tongues. But my sister and my dad don't really. What's your favorite thing about your mom? That she doesn't like to be away from us. When she gets down the floor and plays with me. She's a really good teacher. I like her face. Her smile. When she lets me put on her makeup. That I can cuddle with her at night. She is really special. She's really, 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 really nice. How do you know that your mom loves you? She prays and she kisses me and she says, I love you. she's in my family. How she takes care of us. By making breakfast. doing my laundry. That she helps me get dressed. Takes me to all the things I do after school. That she plays games with me. Play soccer with me. Play bubbles. When I sit in her lap. We watch movies. We get our nails painted. Make a scrapbook. Fish. Outside cookouts and bonfires. She spends time with us, not all by herself. She's patient. With us. She does everything with me. Because she says it every day. Kisses me every night. and All kinds of stuff. I just know that she loves me because she says, I'll always love you. She's awesome. She loves me no matter what, like God. I love you, Mommy. Happy Mother's Day.
0: Uh, For all the women of Rancho, we hope that you are uh, blessed today and know that God's heart is to bless you and for you uh, mothers. We thank God for you. We have a rose for you as you leave, uh, given by a lot of very, very grateful uh, children out there. Let's all stand together. Thank you for being here. Happy Mother's Day. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you next week.